0: The Sharp Angles Betting and DFS Show. My name is Todd Burroughs and I am your host. And I am joined again this week by my partner, Ryan McChrystal. And we will go over Ryan's props for the rest of the week and some DFS idea plays I am looking at early in the week for Daily Fantasy when you consider the ownership that we have at this point and talk a little bit of strategy. But with Friday the 13th coming up this week, I want to make sure you know that we are slashing prices on all of our weekly packages. That's right. No tricks, just treats, as we're giving you 79% off every weekly package site-wide when you use the code SLASH. Why 79% off, you ask? That's how accurate Warren's plays on over totals have been in his lifetime and his strongest play in over a year just hit last week with the Jets-Broncos game hitting the over. We want everyone to jump on board and avoid having your bankrolls be left for dead. Just use the code SLASH to get your 79% off discount. And as Dracula would say... It ends on Friday the 13th. Welcome in my new guest, I mean my uh, partner Ryan. Ryan, I'm sorry, uh, doing Dracula (laughs) just threw me off a little bit.
1: (laughs) No worries, excited to dive in and talk some football with you again this week.
0: Yes, I'm always excited to dive (laughs) in and get a bite of a a good discount, like 79%. Not my best Dracula, but... (laughs) So uh, we're gonna move on uh, to the rest of your props. And in looking at your list of props, I was more taken by what wasn't there than what is there. Could, uh, I, and I know you know what I'm talking about. Why don't you explain?
1: Of course. So you're obviously talking about TJ Hawkinson, who we have discussed every week um, on this podcast, taking the over on his receptions. I'm off it this week and you know we've lost two weeks in a row now giving out that prop. That's actually not the reason why I'm off it because, you know, two weeks ago, we addressed this last week. That was a fluke against Carolina. The Vikings ran their fewest offensive plays in a decade. That's a fluke. That was the reason we lost that prop and we were willing to jump back on it last week because we just knew that wasn't going to happen again against the Chiefs. Then against the Chiefs last week, he has five catches for eight targets. Anytime Hawkinson gets eight targets, you're going to assume he's going the hitting the over on his receptions prop because he's using such a conservative way in the offense. He catches a really high percentage of those targets. In fact, he's got a 77% catch rate on the season. Last week, only five of eight targets. That's a 63% catch rate. So again, I I look at that as, you know, if we're, if we're going to play this prop all season, he's going to have a stat line like that a couple of times. But if we keep going back to it, over the course of a full season, we're going to win most of the time. If he's seeing eight targets a game, sometimes he's going to catch five, but more often than not, we're going to hit the over. So we're comfortable with accepting a few of those losses. So that doesn't really scare me based on what happened last week. The reason I'm jumping off the prop right now is Justin Jefferson. Losing Justin Jefferson, I don't think it necessarily helps Hawkinson. You you could argue that maybe they've force feed him the ball more because they're losing one of their weapons, but they're used in such different ways in the offense. I really don't think that's going to be the case. And,
0: and one, one of the things that... up, and one opens up space for the other. It,
1: exactly. That, that, that was exactly going to be my next point because, you know, like we've talked about throughout the season, Hawkinson really benefits from seeing a lot of too high coverages and cousin sees a lot of that. He sees too, since the start of last season, he's seen too high coverage over 50% of his dropbacks. And that really opens up the middle of the field for Hawkinson. Maybe teams continue to do that. Maybe Jordan Addison steps into a role and he proves to be a legit deep threat and defenses continue to do that. But I just don't have enough confidence. The reason they see such a high rate of two eye coverage, it definitely could be forced by Jefferson. That teams want to ensure that there's always help over the top for whatever quarterback is lined up against him. So I'm going to stay away from the Hawkinson prop for now. If Jefferson is out for an extended period of time, you know, we'll gather some data over the next couple of weeks and maybe we revisit it. But at this point in time, I I need we need to be in that data collecting stage right now because I just I just don't have the same confidence as far as how teams are going to approach them.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's move on to uh, off of what isn't there to what is there. And you've got two running backs. And I'm going to let you hit them together. Bijan on the longest run, 17.5 or under. Actually, I'm going to let you just do the Bijan one for now.
1: Yeah, I'm on the over on Bijan Robinson's longest rush. It's available at 16 and a half yards. It's actually a little bit lower than I, was, than I would have been willing to take it. So I, I like it a lot. Uh, We played this last week, essentially, with Khalil Herbert on Thursday night going up against the Commanders. We took the over on his longest rush, and even though he got injured, he fortunately, I believe it was still in the first quarter when he hit the over with a a nice long run. And it's it's really all about the Washington defense. They allow three or more yards before contact at the highest rate in the league. 36% of running back carries, uh, slightly more than one out of every three carries. They're leaving a gaping hole at the line of scrimmage. to put that into perspective a little bit more, average is 23%. They're at 36%. So anytime we've got an explosive running back going up against them, this is probably going to be a prop we're going to want to do. And obviously, B. John Robinson falls into that category as an explosive running back. Now, the one fear you might have, because this is such a run-heavy offense, you could say, like, well, is Washington going to stack the box more to try to plug some of those holes? Could it be easier for them to prevent those, those gaping holes against a team like this? Probably not because even with a stacked box, Washington is allowing an average of two yards before contact per attempt. So I think this is, this is a really good matchup. And with the Falcons favored in this game, the game script could also increase his usage as a running back. So we could see get a few more carries in this game, just, just giving him more opportunities to hit this over.
0: All right. Um, I like it. And then we're going to do these two guys together because they're both under on longest run let's do uh jacobs who we had last week i believe as well with an under on the run and we're gonna throw in the man who was found on the road dead jerome ford (laughs) sorry that's an old ford joke
1: yeah we played the josh jacobs prop last week and we lost i'm going back to it though because i think this was another one of those where we had the right logic just you know over the course of the season if you if you continue to play you're going to lose some of them we're just we're betting that we're going to win this more often than not over a, a large sample size it's just, it's one that we're going to keep coming back to he had a 24 yard run last week it's the reason we lost but it was the first time he had a run over 10 yards only the second time he's reached 10 yards or longer so it was the first time he hit the over on his longest rush prop this season but if you dive into the numbers for this game the Raiders offensive line struggled just as much as we thought they would maybe even a little more so he was contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage on 45% of his carries, the second highest rate of the season. And he only had three carries with that, with that key number, three or more yards before contact. Obviously one of those produced the long, that, that long 24 yard run. So, you know, even though we lost last week, this is the type of production from the offensive line where more often than not, we're going to win this. So I'm going to stick with it based on the fact that the offensive line lived up to our expectations, even though. Unfortunately, we lost the bet. Just to hit some of the numbers, again, that we mentioned last week real quickly, he's averaging eight. He's averaging .8 yards before contact per attempt. So this has been a recurring problem. And he also has a tough matchup this week against the Patriots. They're allowing three or more yards before contact. Only 9% of running back carries the lowest rate in the league. So terrible offensive line against a run defense that has been pretty stout this year. So a really good matchup. Yeah, you know, I, I said that I would take this even lower, but the line is actually out there at 13 and a half yards. Dropped a little bit from last week. I believe the number of last week was 15 and a half, so it's, it's dropped a little bit. But I'm still very much willing to take it. He's only clear, like I said, last week was the only time he's cleared that number, so I'm feeling pretty good about this. The other under longest rush prop you mentioned that we're gonna take is Jerome Ford. We've talked about Ford a couple of weeks ago. I think it was we played the yardage in that game. I'm using similar logic here, but I'm gonna. I think I prefer the longest rush under against the 49ers. Ford has been contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage on 66% of his carries. That's horrific. And because we've seen Nick Chubb behind this line come nowhere close to that, typically, you know, he invites some contact behind the line of scrimmage because he's typically a between the tackles type of runner. You're gonna run into more contact when you do that, but Chubb is nowhere near the bottom of the league in this stat. You know, they've had some injuries, obviously losing Conklin at right tackle. That's somewhat of a factor. But to be the worst rate in the league, this is mostly falling on Ford. He doesn't have the vision to avoid contact. He dances in the backfield too much. I, I think we mentioned that last time I played this prop, this was a big concern of him when he entered the league out of Cincinnati that he was going to invite this early contact. And he's just not the, he doesn't have the extreme explosive ability to really make up for it and he's going up against a a good 49ers defense this week. They contact opposing running backs at or behind the line of scrimmage on 63% of carries, second highest rate in the league. So one of the best defenses at forcing early contact, literally the worst running back and inviting early contact, terrible matchup. Not only is he going to struggle to have a long run against this type of defense, but if he continues to perform at this level, I think he's just going to lose carries. Stefanski is going to get frustrated with this at some point. And then the other factor here is P.J. Walker might be starting this game for D.J. for um, Deshaun Watson. If that happens, obviously this game has blowout potential. Potentially a really bad game script for running the ball, which cuts into his carries. So I, I would expect him to not see a ton of touches in this game and have basically no room to run when he does. So I'm on the under. I'll, I'll, this line has not been posted yet. There's not a lot of lines available for this game because of the Watson injury, I would assume. But if it's available at 11 and a half or higher, I'm, I'll be on the under
0: yeah i um you know talking about idiot tests i mean Pierce strong has looked good every time they've handed him the ball he looks better than jerome ford he looked better than zeke Elliott in new england um i know i am you know begging because of my best for best ball portfolio but i i, I mean I just think uh, Pierce Strong is a better running back. And how long does it take you to realize, you know, what might be obvious? Um, so uh, let's go with the next one. And uh, that was my rant of the night. My <laughs> Pierce Strong should play. Would you agree, by the way?
1: I mean, I'm not super high on Strong, but I would agree because Ford has been so bad. Yeah, you've got to give the other guys in the backfield an, an opportunity when he's When he's struggling this much
0: all right so one of uh matt Harmon's favorite players of uh in the last couple years a guy whose peripherals had really really looked a lot better um and he seems to have a great connection with his quarterback talk to me about your next prop and the over on brandon Ayuk.
1: yeah sticking with that browns 49ers game obviously i'll be on the over haven't seen this line posted yet i'll take it at four and a half or lower. It's been available at three and a half at certain points this season already. So I'm, I'm hoping for that just because, like we said, especially if Watson doesn't play, this could be a blowout. So the game script could be working against us. I'm hoping it's a little bit lower, but I'll still take it because I think the way that IUC is, is used in the 49ers offense matches up really well with how the Browns play defense. They use man coverage at the highest rate, 39%. And so, you know, anytime we have one of these outlier defenses in terms of coverage, I like to look at how the other team. How their target share shifts against those types of teams. In this case, it's a pretty big, pretty big difference for Ayuk. I was looking at over the past two seasons when he, Debo, and Kittle are all on the field together. Obviously, that group has had some injuries over the past season. So, only looking at when they're on the field together, Ayuk's target share versus man coverage sits at thirty-two percent, team high. Zone coverage twenty-three percent. Pretty big gap there. So against a team like the Browns, it's going to try to use man coverage at a pretty high rate. We should see an elevated usage rate for him in this game, and you know a lot of teams they don't play a lot of man coverage. So we're looking at sort of a small sample size here, but the 49ers have played three games in which Aik has been healthy over the last two seasons, where they have faced a man coverage rate of 35% or higher. In those games, Aik has seen targets of eight, nine, and 11. So it has played out in these games where, we've, where they've had an elevated rate. It has led to more targets for him. So the Browns pretty consistently playing at that 35% rate or higher should lead to a, a big workload for you in this matchup.
0: When life is getting you downs, you bet the over on Josh Downs. One of my late uh, best ball heavy ownership um, I called him coming out discount Zay Flowers. I felt that they had a lot of similarities between them. Um, and honestly, I kind of like Downs a little bit more. I I struggle to see the difference other than the draft capital, obviously. Um, but um, you seem to be on the Josh Downs over receptions this week with the Gardner Minshew as quarterback.
1: Yeah, I think he potentially benefits from Minshew taking over. Obviously, we've seen both quarterbacks play, Minshew and Anthony Richardson. We've seen a little bit of both of them this year. Obviously, a really small sample size. But Downs does have a 25% target share from Minshew and a 16% from Richardson. Now, like I said, small sample size. So how much should we trust that? I try to think of it when dealing with a small sample size is why is it happening? Can we come up with a good reason for it? And if we can, then I think we can trust it. In this case... I think the reason is basically that Minshew gets rid of the ball more quickly. He needs to because he doesn't have Richardson's scrambling ability. Mm -hmm. Obviously, anytime all all of these quarterbacks like Richardson, that have that type of running ability. They're going to tend to hold the ball more. They're going to hold the ball longer because when they see pressure, they don't necessarily feel the need to get rid of it right away. They can just scramble by some time. Whereas Minshew, he's the type of quarterback, although he's not a terrible athlete, he tends to get rid of the ball quickly to, to avoid pressure. So you know, we we can see this in the numbers just this season, 64% of Minshew's attempts have been released in 2.5 seconds or less, only 55% for Richardson. Now Downs, because he lines up in the slot, because he's one of these smaller, quicker receivers, he plays a big role in the quick passing game. It's easier to get him the ball quickly than it is Michael Pittman often, you know, if he's lined up on the outside, he tends to be running more routes downfield. So Downs plays a much bigger role in the quick passing game, which is a bigger part of Minshew's game. So he's going to benefit from this. This prop is available at three and a half, which I think is a, real, a really good number. I, I would have maybe been tempted to consider it if it climbed higher than that, which it could if he has another big game with Minshew. But at least for this week, we've got a, available, I think, at a really good number at three and a half. So I'll be on that for sure.
0: Awesome. And we're going to finish up with um, a team that I've always considered my team, um, a team that I really fell out of love with during the Dave Gettleman years. (laughs) And now, you know, I was not happy with the Evan Neal pick. I thought that, you know, a team that needed so many assets taking a right tackle at, you know, seven, um, and it turns out they took him over Charles Cross. Um, The guy they took in the same draft is going to be playing with most likely Tyrod Taylor this week. And you probably wisely have the under longest receptions of fourteen five on one wandale Robinson.
1: Yeah, this line, this is for the Sunday night game. Obviously, we don't have a lot of props available for this game yet. So I'm going to say that I'm willing to take it under at 14 or higher, but this might serve as an idiot test for all of us because it was available at 17 and a half last week. And if it's available at that number, you must be on this prop. It's a gimme. I have no idea why it was available at that number last week. Robinson has one catch in his career over that number. So why the prop was available at 17 and a half, I have absolutely no idea. Hopefully we get it again. I kind of doubt we will because that is so ridiculous. It almost feels like a typo. But you know these these props don't change a lot these longest reception longest rush props One of the reasons why i've been on them a lot this year is they don't change a lot So when we feel like we're onto something if we have good logic We can probably play it for a few weeks. It's going to take a while to adjust. So i'm hoping you know, maybe it drops to 16 or 15 Even if it drops a little to 14 I'm, I'm i'm still on it But i'm pretty confident it's going to be available at one of those higher numbers just because they don't change a lot he I mean, the, the, to dive a little bit deeper, the reason why he doesn't have these long receptions is, remember, he's a former running back in college. He was playing running back when he was at at Nebraska, played a little bit more of a hybrid role than at Kentucky at the end of his career. And even though he's playing receiver now in the NFL, he's basically being used in a way that you would use a running back who you have shifted out into the slot. <laughs> like He's basically a running back lining up at receiver, except he's doing it full-time just about. Only 6% of his targets have been at 10 or more yards downfield, and his average depth of target is three yards downfield. So, even for him to just clear 10 yards, he's going to have to make somebody miss. And so, to get a longer run, to, to get a longer play, to get it all the way up to 18 yards to hit the over, which is what he would have needed last week, he's going to have to make a bunch of guys miss, essentially, which he's capable of. I like Robinson a lot. I think, and I like the way that they're using him. It's the perfect way to use a weapon like Robinson but he's not an explosive player in, in this role. He's not going to produce these huge explosive plays in the passing game. He's the guy who's filling the 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 path. When the passing game is, is serving as an extension of your run game, Robinson's the perfect guy to use, and that's how they're using him. He's just not going to have these huge chunk plays down the field. So like I said, if it's available at 17 and a half, it's, that's an idiot test for all of us. We, we need to be on the under if we get that but I'll, I'll be on the under almost re- regardless because it's unlikely to fall dramatically. So it, as long as we get 14 and a half or higher, I like this prop a lot.
0: Awesome, awesome. Great, great, great group, group of stuff. Uh, we do have one question in the chat before we move on. Uh, Garner Hassler, thoughts on power to have a bounce back week against the Chargers, lack of production recently, largely due to game script, both fantasy and over 67.5 rushing yards. I mean, over the last few years, Ryan, the Chargers rush defense has kind of been a cheap code for for health and welfare. Um your thoughts on uh, Garner's question.
1: You know, I, I I would say as far as I would always le- I'm always going to lean over as far as his rushing yards prop this year just because we know that the volume always has the potential to be there as long as the game script goes their way. He, he's the true workhorse in that backfield. And so in a game, they're favored by two points right now. It's certainly plot. It's certainly re- reasonable to think we're going to get a good game script. So I'm certainly going to lean that way. And from a fantasy perspective, this game is pretty high total 51. Um, that's gotta be one of maybe even the highest of the week. Cause we're seeing such low totals around the league, certainly reasonable to, uh, to make him a priority in fantasy, I would think. What, what's your take on that from a fantasy perspective?
0: I mean, I, 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 I again, I, I like it because of the Chargers, yeah. right? They've been a team you can run on. McCarthy is under a lot of pressure. He believes in running the ball. The problem is that Tony Pollard hasn't looked like the same guy this year, and I, it's always easy to forget when guys come back from injury that there is a slight chance that their first year back, they're not as uh, explosive as they were prior to the injury. He did have a, you know, it's normally an injury that you don't think of as one that lingers, but I, you know, in looking at him, I don't see the same guy yet. So, I mean, I, again, I'm not the biggest prop guy out there, rushing yards it's it's not a bargain so if i was gonna you know gun to my head i would take the over but i don't know ryan if it's something that i would bet on personally
1: yeah i mean the other thing we should acknowledge too is that he his efficiency numbers were absolutely benefiting from sharing the workload with elliot the past few years i mean any one of these explosive runners who's not being asked to carry the full load is benefiting from that because they're putting them in they're putting him into the game when they know he's fresh and they're trying to create a a chunk play now he's being used in a completely different way where they're trying to get explosive plays but they're also just relying on him just to you know keep the chains moving they want him to play both roles now so that's going to make him a little bit less explosive but you know, I'm still because of the volume that he's likely to see week after week when the game script goes their way. Obviously, it wasn't there last week when they're getting blown out, but I don't think they're going to get blown out against the Chargers this week. And, you know, if they're winning the game in the second half, he's going to go back to, you know, earlier in the year where he had 23 carries against the Cardinals, 25 carries against the
0: Jets. Yeah. If he gets that, he'll,
1: he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll
0: 67. Yeah. I agree that if I was going to bet it, I would bet the over. Um, let's move on. Uh, gee, what's next, Ryan?
1: Well, let's let's jump into the DFS talk now. I'll start with quarterbacks. What do you got?
0: All right. So um, you know I tr- you know because it's so early in the week, my thoughts are not always set. and I, I've mentioned that before, uh, but I do want to teach a little bit of DFS strategy and thoughts each week. So something to keep in mind with lower owned players at any position, consider if you are going to play them, you want to either be 2X or 3X what the feel it is. You want leverage, right? And, you know, if you're making 100 lineups and somebody's 5% and you put in seven lineups, you've kind of limped, right? Um, Where I tend to limp is with high-owned players. So if a guy is 15% owned, maybe I'll go 11 or 10 or 12 if I don't really believe in him. Uh, The reason that he's got a a high ownership is because he's a good play, almost almost always, right? So taking a slight under position or a slight over position with a high-owned guy makes sense. With that in mind, Gardner Minshew at 5K is 6% ownership. So would I put 12% on Gardner Minshew? Yes, I would. Would I go a little higher than that? Maybe. If you start seeing Gardner Minshew at 8 9%, that's going to be a fade for me. It's not a great offense. And I don't want that much of my portfolio tied up in a guy that is you know, uh, he's a journeyman quarterback. He's a good journeyman quarterback, but he's a journeyman quarterback. Um, So, uh, but if Gardner Minshew stays at five, 6% ownership, I do think there's a very good chance that I'll be over. Now, other part of the strategy, who is the highest owned guy when I looked this morning? Uh, It was Matt Stafford. Right now, he is the highest owned guy And with the recency bias of Burrow Chase in mind, I find it hard to take a non-running quarterback that's also the highest owned guy in an over position in DFS. So I will get to more about this Ram situation when we get to the wide receivers and how I will play it. But I, I am not playing into 15% ownership on that Stafford. So back to Joe Burrow. He looked much healthier last week, and he says he feels even better. Jamar Chase is going to be very chalky this week. Right now, Burrow's ownership is at six percent at a, a salary of 6,300, which is at 6,300 because he has been injured. It hasn't bounced back yet. So. If he is healthy and he stays in that six seven percent range, I am going to be well over on Joe Burrow. I almost played him last week, and I kicked myself. I always get Joe Burrow wrong. He's just, you know there's always that guy who you always get wrong. For me, it's Joe Burrow. Um, uh, but if he's at six thousand three hundred, he makes Jamar Chase even a better value, and similar to kind of the Kelsey. And even if T. Higgins is back, um, I, I think T. Higgins coming back off an injury has been a nightmare for fantasy players a number of times. So, um, And then the last guy I'll throw out thoughts on is Brock Purdy. He's playing a tough Cleveland D, but at 5,600, um, he hasn't missed yet. And I know he's not a running quarterback, but I showed him at 1% ownership. And if he's at one percent ownership, you better believe with those weapons, I'm going to be at at least five six percent. Brock Purdy, Ryan.
1: Yeah, I, I can see your logic with the low roster share with Purdy. That makes me nervous though, because that feels like a game, especially if Watson doesn't go. That that could be like a seventeen to 6 49 ers win. And
0: and, with... and that you know that wasn't taken into account when I when yeah. I put my list together, but. Even still, you know, there's not a lot of great values out there this week. So that was, you know, yes, you know, but the great thing about that is, again, back to my earlier point on low ownership guys and being able to go four or five X, uh, you know, to have 5% of your portfolio on a guy like Purdy. The upside is so high if you get the unlikely um, scenario where it's not a 17 6 game. Yeah. But I yeah. completely hear your point.
1: Yeah. The other quarterback you mentioned that I wanted to throw my two cents on is Burrow. You know, we talked about him a little bit last week, and I was saying how, you know, I was fading him. I was on the under on his longest completion. Right. Remember, I week.
0: mentioned it and then I didn't play him.
1: Yeah. 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 You you were leaning towards being on him last week. I remember. And, yeah. You know, I, I lost that. Because as you mentioned, he looked a little bit healthier. Things seem to be trending in the right direction. I'm, a, I'm not betting against him now. I'm, now I'm sort of in the wait and see phase because that was a terrible defense that they that they beat last yep. week in Arizona. And even still, on throws 15 or more yards on field, he was only 1 of 4. He's now 3 of 26 on the year. That's 11.5 percent. They there's, even though he looked a little bit better overall, he he seemed to look healthier. It didn't help them throw the ball downfield at all. That, that was, you know, the receivers made some explosive plays for them after the catch Burrow wasn't doing much on the deep ball at all. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not the, one of the reasons why I'm not going back to that prop is, you know, the, the Seahawks are also a pretty bad defense. So. know, they could certainly, you know, especially if he's a little, even a little bit healthier than last week, maybe he, he does break out. So that's probably coming soon. So I'm not going to bet against him at this point, but I am a a little, I I just, I just wanted to mention I am a little hesitant. I'm not buying the idea that he's fully back until we actually see them start to have some sort of downfield passing game.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: So. Let's move on to the running backs now, and I think you want to mention a guy who we have both been pretty high on throughout the year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, hold on one second. I one of my uh, co-owners wants to know who I want to start in the draft. <laughs> I have to answer him with the time getting short.
1: Sure. the The guy, of course, that I'm I'm referencing is uh, David Montgomery, who we I've Correct. played some props on him, and I know that you've been on him in dfs as well throughout the a, year.
0: heavy best ball position um david montgomery is still the best value on the board this week and for some reason perhaps if tampa for some his ownership isn't that high even though he's showing as the best value um i mean even if his ownership gets up a little bit more than where it was um i i, I think that david montgomery you know his coach came out today and said, look, we're going to feed this guy the ball. His O-line can, can be successful against any team. The only negative is he is on the road, and I do think the Lions are a much different team at home. But right now, um, I mean, with single-digit ownership, I will definitely be at tw- at least 20% on Montgomery. If he gets into the 20s, then I'll see what the optimizer done has done. Um, now right now, and this makes no sense to me. Maybe you can explain it with, you know, the defense is better than I do. Joe Mixon showing 27% ownership. He's been one of the least efficient running backs of the year. And you've got Chase as one of the highest owned wide receivers and Mixon is one of the most highest owned running backs. I found that it's rare for them both to go off at the same time. Um, I will be... You know, I will be off Mixon at that ownership big time. I'm also off Travis Etienne at 19% ownership at 7,100 salary. Um, He has looked really not great most of the year. And he had this huge week when everyone was watching him last uh, last week. Um, You know, and the Bills had a lot of injuries on defense. So um, I'm going to be pretty wary there. Um, there's a couple injury situations at running back that's going to really determine a lot this week. Um, If Roshan Johnson can clear uh, concussion protocol, he's at 4,600. We rarely get to play cheap running backs on DraftKings anymore, and that always was was kind of a cheat code. So I've got Dante Foreman also at 4,400, I think if Roshan is cleared, you can play both. You might want to play Roshan in double the lineups of Foreman, and but I think either one of them could uh, do well. Now, I think the field is going to think the Vikings are a bad run defense because the Eagles gashed them early in the season, but the last few weeks, they've been a lot uh, tougher. Um, so a lot, a lot of... Uh, a lot more i'm gonna have to do a lot more looking into this whole thing but in general i mean there is a chance that i'll be at 50 60 percent ownership on one of these uh chicago running backs uh because uh, doing so and doubling the field if they're 20 percent owned it, it if they hit it, it you know at a low price it gives you a lot more chances to get the rest of the lineup right with the uh, studs um Jeff Wilson is forty three hundred. Um, I'm I'm leaning against him. I mean, there's other running backs there. I like Mostert at six. I think it's sixty three hundred. Um, and and I think his ownership is going to be muted. And the other one is possibly Chuba Hubbard, another one of my late best ball guys that I have twenty percent on, um, who is cheap. And it looks like Miles Sanders might miss. So a lot of cheap running backs, I would say, guys, do your homework, look into it, pick the ones that you want, because it, it it's really rare to get that old fashioned cheap running back anymore. And lastly, uh, Christian McCaffrey has a, tr- a tough matchup and a $9,500 salary, but his ownership right now is showing 5% and, you know. Christian McCaffrey at 5% is an automatic over for me. I don't care the salary. I don't care who he's playing because he's that guy who can put up 40 points in any given week. Your thoughts, Ryan? Yeah,
1: going back to Mixon, I agree with you. I'm surprised that he would be such a popular play this week. I wonder if maybe some of that is sort of a combination of fading the Seahawks Who have a good record, but have beat up on two really bad teams and the Panthers and Giants the past two weeks sort of pad the record and then also buying into the Bengals being better that, you know, because because Burrow is getting healthier. Maybe that's some people thinking that, you know, these are two teams potentially headed in different directions right now. And that could lead to like just a good game script for the Bengals to run the ball more, which they haven't really had much this year. M- maybe that's part of it. But like like I said, I'm not a hundred percent in on Burrow being fully back. So I I would certainly would if that's the reason, I'm not chasing that line of thought. As for the Roshan Johnson, Dante Foreman one, man, that feels like a trap to me. <laughs> you, you, I completely understand that you want to have exposure to the, the low a low salary starting running back, right? Because he could have he doesn't even need to have a good game, but you know, just the game script could, you know, the game could play out in such a way where he doesn't have a great stat line, but he scores two touchdowns because they happen to be down near the goal line twice and he gets those carries. So you want to have some exposure. Well, and Roshan
0: but... and Roshan, as we know, can also catch passes. Maybe I'm a maybe. I'm a I'm a lot more <laughs> I'm a lot more likely. I, I'm a big Roshan guy. I liked him coming out. Um, like I'm I, a lot more likely to be over on Roshan than Dante Foreman, and, but what I like is the fact that if we do get all four guys, it gives you a chance to be over on all four. Because again, the way DFS works is you're try, you're looking for a half of one percent outcome in most of these tournaments, and you know you're gonna have to take some chances. But again, I I, I get it, and I'm hoping those kinds of things mute ownership because that's the key to 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 get it you know to going over
1: yeah i mean like i said last week the the idea that roshan johnson is a pass catching back i think that's just all because for some, you don't somehow like in i don't know what happened in week 1 that led to him i think it was six receptions or maybe maybe it was five catches it, it was it was garbage time yeah it just it I, it was
0: it was pure garbage time
1: He's not that type of player. I mean, the reason why he was so good in college was he paired so perfectly with B. John Robinson. Roshan Johnson is the downhill between the tackles, bulldozer and Robinson, although he can certainly do that also, so explosive on the edges and in the passing game. Johnson had 14 catches all of last season. So for him to come out with whatever it was, five or six catches in in week one was Just weird. I think when we look back at his entire career, that's still good That could very easily end up being his career high because that's just not the type of player that he is You don't even when you are throwing the ball to him You're not the play is not really designed to get chunk chunk yardage by giving roshan johnson the ball. He's a check down guy You just you dump it off to him because he's on the field. He's a good pass protector So he's on the field sometimes in those situations. So, you know, he might catch some passes sometimes But you're not you're not trying to get him the ball ever and so i that's why it just feels like a trap to me because i i think they're i think they're going to i don't think either one of them is going to dominate carries or dominate touches in any way and so it feels like it could be just you know both of them have you know eight carries for 25 yards or something like that but like i said with, with a with a low salary certainly worth chasing so you know let's let's move on to the wide receivers what do you got for us there
0: well, I I love uh, you, you know you've given me a lot to think about and that's why I love bringing up early things and and bouncing them off you. Um, so because you know I don't have the time to dig deep until late in the week. So I love I love those thoughts. I thank you for them. Um, as mentioned, Jamar Chase right now is by far the best value on the whole slate and will have the ownership to match it. My thoughts are eighty three hundred is still too cheap for a guy who's being peppered like he is. Now, T. Higgins returning, I know I said it wouldn't stop me, but again, I have to feel confident. I'm not going to fade him much if I fade him. Um, there's a very good chance a guy like that at a good salary like that, maybe I will be even weight and then in the optimizer trying to come up with a couple rules that will put a different kind of build together to get him. But my favorite plays right now on the whole slate, uh, based on the ownership I saw, is Cooper Cup and Puka Nasua, Nakua. Both have single-digit ownerships when I was looking. And you've got Stafford as the highest owned quarterback. So the fact that there's two of them is obviously muting the ownership of both. And so to me, the obvious way to play this, if the ownerships continue, is to fade Stafford heavily and then make a rule at least one of Cooper Cup and Puka Nasua in every lineup. And you know, run that for maybe three quarters of your lineups. And then make 25% of your teams without that rule. And that way, you know, you get because both Cup and Nakua could break the slate, right, Ryan? And so, Absolutely. you know, by putting one of them in the lineup, If Stafford's in 15% and these guys each end up with 5%, 10% ownership, it means that almost every time they're in a lineup, it's with Matt Stafford. So making a rule without him is something that I am very interested in right now. A couple other interesting things I saw at um, wide receiver. Both the Bucs wide receivers are very loaned-owned right now. Might not be the best matchup, but, I mean, you know, again, anytime I can get really talented players, you know, at 5% or less ownership, that's something I tend to want to be at least two to three times over on. Uh, Speaking of that, I went heavy on Devontae Smith last week, and I whiffed, and the Jets definitely are a tough matchup. But Devontae Smith is at 1% ownership right now. And that 30 to 40 point game is going to come. I don't want to guess when it's going to come. But if I can put 12, 13% on Devonta Smith against 1% ownership, I am going to do that just from a um, mathematical standpoint every single time, because there's very few players who we've seen break a slate in the NFL. And Devonta Smith has done that multiple times. Um, last name I'll throw out there is Tyler Lockett. Um, and that could be a trap. I love Tyler Lockett right now it's showing low ownership, but I think Lockett's ownership is going to rise because they're going to correlate people are going to correlate him with uh, Jamar Chase. So I think his ownership might rise more than people think in a vacuum. I like Tyler Lockett, one of my favorite players, but I don't think I'll be on him this week, Ryan.
1: Yeah, I mean, going back to the chase one that you mentioned, I I like that as well. I mentioned how you know I'm not fully buying Burrow because they're not throwing downfield that well. Well, as Chase showed last week, he doesn't necessarily need that to have a great game. You know, Higgins is the one that sees more downfield targets than him. That's really Higgins' role. And Chase, yeah, obviously he can do everything, but he he does get used on the underneath stuff more often. And so, I, I wonder if if Higgins returns, if that even helps. You, if you want to target Chase, because maybe that drives the Chase roster share down a little bit. But we have some reason to think because our downfield passing game is struggling that Higgins probably isn't a great play this week. Burrow is still sort of figuring, you know, getting more comfortable throwing the deep ball, and Chase can survive without that and still be productive. So that might actually help you out in that case if Higgins plays.
0: Awesome. All right. The last thing is tight end. I'm just going to give a, a couple quick thoughts on that, Ryan. I'm seeing real heavy ownership on Ertz and Engram in the early 20s. I mean, I'm sorry. I can't play either of those guys at that kind of ownership. Engram is, you know, he's really come along since he's been on the Jags, but it's definitely been on a big week followed by two uh, average or small weeks. I'm not going to play into that kind of ownership. Zach Ertz, I don't think, has the kind of ceiling that you want to play into that kind of ownership. The problem is there's not a lot of guys I really do like. Uh, One name I'll throw out there is Cole Komet at 4,600. Justin Fields seems to be back to being the Justin Fields that can actually throw the ball and that they're putting him in positions to be successful, which I think I talked about last week. How they don't that they weren't putting him in uh, positions to be successful. I think both Komet and DJ were are interesting plays this week at lower ownership. Um, you know, TJ Hawkinson is showing at a very bad value this week. He's six thousand six hundred. That's another one where if we start flirting with five percent or less for Hawkinson, I'll take the chance with Justice Jefferson being gone and go to 10 to 12% on him. But if he's eight, 9%, I don't want 16, 17% Hawkinson at a high salary. Um, Low price guy I'll throw out. And I know I just keep mentioning this team and they're not a great offense, but Cade Otten at like $3,100, he's not that bad. And he's on the field all the time. And what you need a tight end especially when there's not a lot of great uh tight end options um i think people are going to play a lot of pits this week since he finally got targets last week um so i am going to throw out kate Otten as my last guy ryan any last thoughts on the tight ends
1: yeah, I'm with you with Otten. I mean, with those low, low-salary low tight ends, what you need is a couple catches and a touchdown, right? And then you've got good value. And with Otten playing against the Lions, I think every Lions game has shootout potential because they've got some questions on defense and they've got a really good offense. And so, yeah, for him to have you know three catches and a touchdown and get you decent value there, that's certainly plausible in this type of a matchup. The other one you mentioned that I think is interesting is Cole Komet. I was doing a little bit of research on his usage because they're going up against the Vikings. Their defensive coordinator, Brian Flores, loves to blitz. 55% blitz rate this year, easily the highest. So I was sort of looking into the Bears offense and how, how have they adjusted to blitzes. And I don't have a, an answer to fully explain this, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Over, dating back to the start of last season, eight of Comets' 10 touchdowns have come against the blitz. Now, without diving in, like looking at their play calls and seeing exactly how it's happening, I can't fully explain it. But that's a really high percentage for him to be scoring off the blitz at that kind of, that kind of rate. It, it's it's interesting. I, I like I said I don't know that I have an answer for why that's happening. But that's a lot of touchdowns to be scoring against the blitz and you know against a team where that he's you, going to blitz at a really high rate and has maybe the potential to be a higher scoring game. I I think that that just sort of could add to your confidence in playing Komet.
0: I love it. I mean, you gave me two. Uh reasons to back off guys earlier now you've given me a little fuel for my fire um and again that is um that is you know really good and the kind of you know i like the way i like to teach uh what no matter what i'm teaching ryan is i like to teach theory and i like to teach how you move through different thoughts and listen to other things to get to your final results. So um, good stuff. I also wanna to mention to our Friday the 13th friends, remember that we're slashing prices on all of our weekly packages this week. No tricks, just treats 79% off weekly packages site-wide when you use the code slash, yep, Warren, on his overs, and he just hit his biggest one ever. Get in there with a package before Friday the 13th, because everything ends on Friday the 13th. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Ryan, thank you as always, and we will see you next week.